This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Kia ora. my name is Kerry Enright and I'm one of the ministers of Knox Church in George Street, Dunedin, and I welcome you to Radio Church this day. This Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent, the Christian season that leads up to Easter, six weeks and uh, Sundays associated. And this Sunday is the Sunday after we've seen some pretty shocking pictures of what happened outside Parliament uh, as protesters were moved away by police. And we've also seen pretty shocking pictures and stories coming out of Ukraine. Uh, The invasion of Ukraine by Russia and uh, affecting of so many people and lives and of a whole nation And so it's a pretty tough time at the moment as we come to Radio Church uh, to worship and to prayer. We come as people who are caught up in these things as world citizens, as New Zealand citizens. And so that's going to help shape our time together this morning. The worship I'm leading comes from the Iona community in Scotland, Uh, and the prayers uh, based on prayers from their community. A community of peace on the remarkable historic island of Iona, out from Oban in the north of Scotland. An opening litany. Just and merciful God, you speak through the prophets challenging us to seek peace rooted in justice. Help us to hear your urgent call. Loving God and Jesus, you change our lives for good, challenging us to work for reconciliation. Help us to see your way of truth and love. With us, God, your Holy Spirit moves us to action, challenging us to live the good news Help us to respond wholeheartedly, here and now, to say yes, to say amen. And now a piece of music uh, from uh, the season, for the season of Lent, relating particularly to this time of reflection and meditation, of deepening our life of prayer and of discipleship.
And now we come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Just and merciful God, we glimpse your presence in the world you have created, its power and its beauty, music and poetry, its diversity, fertility, the possibility of food for everyone, the dream of fullness of life for all your children, Yes, God, you are with us in this world. And yet we see that power misused, beauty marred, discord and lies dividing humankind, failure to share, causing many to go hungry or die. And we lament this time of war in Europe. Where are you, God? We hear the good news that Jesus brought, the affirmation of the value of every human life, the gospel that commands us to seek peace with justice. We understand that costly reconciliation is at its heart. Yes, God, you are with us in this world. Yet we see that good news denied by apathy, mocked by prejudice, hatred and refusal to forgive, and we feel helpless in the face of suffering. Where are you, God? You are present where women and men of goodwill still choose to live in your way, caring for creation and for each other, courageously speaking truth to power. You are there when elderly people share their wisdom. You are there when street children dance in the rain. You are present wherever in this broken world hope is alive. Thank you, God, for being present with us now. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I have two readings for today, and the first is from the Psalms, from Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
for he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honour them. With long life I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Thanks be to God for this reading from the Bible. May God grant us understanding of it. And now another piece of music for the season of Lent, the season in which Jesus journeys with us, testing us, as it were, with the truth, inviting us into deeper relationship, asking us to trust and to hope and to pray amid all that's going on around us. Tene mata o 
The first Sunday of Lent nearly always, in fact I think probably always, involves the reading of the temptations of Jesus uh, from one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark or Luke. And this is the year of Luke, the reading set down internationally from the Bible for this year come from the gospel of Luke and so the account of the temptation comes from Luke chapter 4. I'm reading from verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Thanks be to God for this reading from the Gospel. May God give us understanding. So I want to talk about that reading from the Gospel of Luke. It says something of the situations that we're presently facing, both in New Zealand and in Europe, that today's readings with their themes of wilderness, of being in the wilderness, and of being tested, these themes just seem very relevant at the moment. There's the theme of wilderness, and our experience of it today. Many of the familiar anchor points that we thought were dependable seem to have disappeared. We seem to be, in all kinds of ways, as a world and as a nation, 
in unexplored territory. We were trying to work out what's going on. We haven't seen protests quite like what occurred outside Parliament. How do all these things fit together? How do we make sense of them? And in the meantime, we are feeling quite, well, I do, pretty vulnerable. It all seems incomprehensible. The wilderness is by no means my favourite habitat. We, had, we, we thought we had peace in Europe, for example, and that's gone. And before the present situation, we thought people trusted the discipline of science. And we thought New Zealanders respected advice from people with expertise. And we thought people had a degree of trust in democracy. But these things now are in question in ways that I had not anticipated, I had not expected. And so I am having this feeling of wilderness. And then there are the temptations that we listed, uh, that are listed here. The temptations which have an echo in our time. There's that first temptation of turning a stone into bread. Well, there are people who think that's about, you know, helping Jesus. He's been uh, in the wilderness, he's been without food, and now he might want something to eat. Give him some a stone, he can turn it into bread. But it could also be regarded as social. You know, there are people, as in today, who just don't have food. Well, Jesus, if you turn this stone into bread, they'll have some food. It's a kind of social dimension of the temptations. And then there's a temptation which is political, the promise of instant power. I'm going to give you authority over the kingdoms of the world if only you did this or that. And then the third temptation has to do with the religious, the pinnacle of the temple. You can prove decisively, Jesus, what faith can achieve, so everyone will be persuaded. Throw yourself down and God will bear you up. Writers have noted that temptations are often about compromising what seems on the surface as good. Indeed, all of the temptations have what sound like worthy goals. Food, power, influence. And yet they're compromised by the promise of instant success the social, the political, the religious. And I think what's happening in our country and in the Ukraine are a mix of these temptations. I want to talk a wee bit about the Ukraine. In 1984, I was part of a New Zealand delegation of about 25 of us from different churches around New Zealand that visited Eastern Europe. And we were hosted by the churches of Eastern Europe at the time, and we went there to express the solidarity of the New Zealand church with them. And one of the places we were hosted was in Kiev, in the capital of Ukraine. 
And we were hosted there by the leader of the church there, of the Orthodox Church there, Metropolitan Filaret of Kiev. Subsequently, he became a figure of great controversy, and you can find out about him online. Indeed, now he's regarded, and he's quite an old man, older than I am, he uh, is regarded as the patriarch of the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And so I want to talk about uh, the experience of that and what that means. So here we are in a terrible war between Russia and the Ukraine. Both of these countries are populated with Orthodox Christians. We don't know so much about Orthodoxy in New Zealand, but worldwide it is the third largest Christian strand after Catholicism and Protestantism, then Orthodoxy. And so what's happening is that as Russians attack Ukrainians, Orthodox Christians are killing Orthodox Christians. Unbelievable. And the relationship between the two countries has a history religiously. Around, 1980, around 980, princes in what is today Ukraine were converted to Christianity by Orthodox Christians from Constantinople. And so the area around Kiev became the heart of orthodoxy in the whole of that region for three centuries until it moved to Moscow. And for most of that time, Orthodox churches in Ukraine were under the sphere of influence of the Moscow Patriarchate, the center of the Russian Orthodox Church. Indeed, by Orthodox Christians through all of that area, including in Belarus, in Ukraine, in Russia, Kiev is regarded as the fount of orthodoxy. When Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, it escalated a split between the two churches in Ukraine and Russia. And eventually congregations formed a new Orthodox Church in Ukraine, independent of Moscow's influence. And this independence led to a major split in the Orthodox movement around the world because the head, the spiritual head of Orthodoxy, a bit like the Archbishop of Canterbury is for Anglicanism, the head of Orthodoxy, the spiritual head of the Orthodox movement, uh, not recognized by everyone but by most, who is the ecumenical patriarch of Instant, uh, Istanbul, he and that part of the church recognized the breakaway Ukrainian church. And as a result of that action, the Russian Orthodox Church broke from relating to the Eastern Orthodox Church. And this, was, this represented a major historic division in world Christianity at the time. Now this is relevant because of how President Putin sees Russia's identity and global, global role. He's committed, it seems, from what he said, to see the glories in geography of Mother Russia restored. And religiously, he says, 
This is preserving Christian civilization against the secular decadence of the West. And for that, his relationship with the Russian Orthodox Church is essential. It seems that he wants to see Moscow as the centre of political and military power over an empire blessed by the Russian Orthodox Church, a church that's closely allied itself with Mother Russia. In fact, the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church has spoken in support of President Putin and what he is doing. Another interesting aspect is that President Putin's mother was a Christian. And in the communist era, when faith was suppressed, Putin was baptized in secret. And it's said that even today, every day, he wears his baptismal cross around his neck. So here is an alignment of power and of religion, which is unusual here in New Zealand. We don't really understand it, but it's not just limited to Russia because there are people who have identified that some of this alignment bears a strong re resemblance to the white, masculine, militarized versions of evangelical faith in the United States. Figures like Steve Bannon, who used to work for President Trump, and voices of religious white nationalism look to Putin and other autocratic Christian leaders with admiration. And this is where the connection comes with New Zealand. Unfortunately, through social media, these views are beginning to influence New Zealanders. These People using social media have been among those spreading misinformation about the pandemic and about mandates. They've been promoting particular understandings of freedom at odds with the gospel. And some of the shocking language that's been used to describe our government has come from the sector. Some of the people who protested outside Parliament have referred to the information that they have received from these sources, from these quarters. I have a friend in the United States, Wes Grangeberg Mickelson, who writes about these things, and he said this, All this underscores the grave dangers of wedding the church to nationalistic power and perceived righteousness. The possibilities of faithful prophetic wit witness are repressed and eliminated. Nationalism becomes idolatry. Belonging to a global body of Christ that transcends national boundaries is destroyed. The possibility of the church acting within situations of conflict and war as a channel of peacemaking vanishes. And at times, the church even ends up blessing Weapons of Destruction. For the follower of Jesus, war can never be the answer. But what are the alternatives? Can non-violent resistance find expression? And are the sanctions we see being imposed a form of such non-violent resistance? 
Well, people have pointed out that the apartheid regime in South Africa was finally broken when economic boycotts and and disinvestment became a part of the resistance to evil. Just this last week on Ash Wednesday, churches around the world joined in prayer for peace. And the global Christian community can support non-violent resistance to aggression and to the temptation to see violence as an answer rather than an evil. More than that, the Christian community can stand against every attempt by any government and leader to use religious faith to support nationalism. Our belief is that wars never win in the end. The resurrection of Christ demonstrates how violence is all ultimately undone by the power of God's love. Thanks be to God. And now let's come with prayers for our world, prayers for wisdom as we seek to make sense of this wilderness in which we are having to negotiate ourselves at the present time. Let us pray. Creator of this world and all its people, we are glad that all things are held in your hands. You have not left us alone. We thank you for the work of your Spirit, encouraging people the world over to work for justice and peace to speak for the voiceless and always to believe that the best is yet to come. If, however, we have driven a wedge between piety and peacemaking or erected a wall between prayer and politics and associated the purposes of God with only the gentler things of earth, God of justice, show yourself, we pray. If we have offered to force gods the devotion you alone deserve, if we've dismissed the gospel as irrelevant, God of justice, we pray, show yourself to us. And I want to pray now a prayer for Ukraine from the United Reformed Church in the United Kingdom. God of all, with alarm and concern, we bring before you the military intervention in Ukraine. In a world you made for peace and flourishing, we lament the use of armed force. We mourn every casualty of this conflict, every precious life extinguished by war. We pray comfort for those who grieve and those who are fearful. Hear our longing that leaders and nations will honour the worth of all people by having the courage to resolve conflict through dialogue. May all our human failings be transformed by your wonderful goodness. We ask this in the name of Christ, the author of peace and the sustainer of creation. Amen. I want now to pronounce a blessing and after that will be our concluding music.
May God, our Maker, bless us and wrap us round in love and tenderness. May Jesus, our brother, bless us and ask us the questions that lead us to do justice and to work for peace. May the Holy Spirit bless us and fill our lives with her courage and wisdom. And may we live bravely in the love of the Trinity all our nights and all our days. Amen. Go in peace. God be with you. Amen. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.